Hello, beloved, and welcome to this uh, weekly Bible study of ours, where we are looking at the baptism and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is already part two, and I hope you're going to enjoy it as much as it was for me to prepare and to get ready for it. Before we continue, though, let's just have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much that we can come to you again. Thank you that we can call upon you day and night, and your ears are always open to hear. And your arms are always, or your hands are always open to help. And even now, as we study with regards to the Holy Spirit, I pray, Father, that you'll open up our hearts to receive and our minds to understand. And enable me as your servant to teach your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. The baptism and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Now, last week I said to you that it is unfortunately a fact that professing believers disagree on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it is. People really, really disagree on that. Uh, Many, many professing believers. And that's why I believe in certain circumstances we've got all these different denominations uh, where people believe different things about, well, different doctrines within the Scripture. Now, listen very carefully. When we speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, We are speaking about that work of the Holy Spirit by which He he brings a new believer into union with Christ and into union with other believers. That's basically what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that. But let's start off by reading three passages of Scripture so that we can actually get a biblical understanding about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, our first passage is Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Now, I'm not going to explain these verses or these passages. I'm just going to read through it and and just put a focus on a certain part of these passages so that we can see what it says. All right. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. It says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do we not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into, uh, baptism into death, and that just as Christ were raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. I just want to repeat verse 3, where it says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Right? That's the first one. Our second passage is basically Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 to 29. Galatians chapter 3, 24 to 29, where we read, Therefore, the law was our tutor, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God, through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, okay, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Right, and then our third passage is basically 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 to 14, where we read, For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. So we were all baptized into the one body of Christ through what? The baptism with the Spirit. By one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And it says, whether it be Jew or Greek, with a slave or free, uh, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. All right, so let me repeat what I started off in the beginning, where I said, when we speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are speaking about that work of the Holy Spirit by which He brings a new believer because it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates a person, eh? a sinner, and makes that sinner a believer. All right, so uh, it's the, how can I say, it's the work of the Holy Spirit by which He, the Holy Spirit, brings a new believer into union with Christ, eh? makes us one with Christ, and into union with other believers in the body of Christ. That's baptism in the Holy Spirit, in a nutshell. Now, I can stop and, and not continue but it's not going to be clear enough now so i'm going to continue so we can understand what it means you see the baptism of the holy spirit should not be confused with water baptism there's a difference between that those two it should not be confused with anything that god may do in the life of a believer after salvation i mean god might give special powers to a believer to to serve him in a special way or a specific way. And this is not what it is what is meant by the fact that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit or we are baptized of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what does it then mean from a New Testament perspective? If we go to the New Testament, what does the New Testament tell us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, what I would like us to do is we're going to look at a few aspects of that and i'm definitely not going to finish all of them in this one uh, bible study so we're going to look at a few aspects but we're going to look at the first aspect in, in this bible study because first the baptism with the holy spirit listen is only found after pentecost it's not something that happened before pentecost it's not something that happens in the old testament it's not something that we can pick up even in the life of jesus christ because jesus was the one who poured out his spirit uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 5 where Jesus said John truly baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now so Jesus was speaking before his ascension to heaven because he knew when he ascended to heaven he would basically then uh, pour out the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would then come upon the disciples and come and indwell the disciples Jesus knew that was going to happen that's why he said to them go into Jerusalem and wait Okay, they had to go and wait. That's why they went into the upper room and that's where they prayed and, and so on. And they were waiting for the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus promised them. Okay, but before Pentecost, 
There was no mention of baptism with the Holy Spirit at all. None whatsoever. Okay. And the fact that Jesus says, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit, basically tells us that the baptism with the Holy Spirit was still uh, something that was going to happen in the future. Okay. But when you go to Acts chapter 11, which means now we're moving on in the book of, of Acts. So Acts chapter 2, that's when the church started. That's the day of Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit came uh, upon the disciples now with tongues of fire, uh, this mighty wind, this, the sound of a mighty wind. But then when we get to Acts chapter 11, verse 15 and 16, we read the following. It says, And as I, that's Peter, began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord when he said, John, uh, the, indeed, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here Peter was basically speaking about the Holy Spirit coming upon the Gentiles in Caesarea. And he said that the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentiles in Caesarea exactly the same way as it came upon them in the beginning in Jerusalem uh, when they waited um, on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And why did that happen? Uh, it's very simple. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said um, that he was going to go, but the disciples will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon um, them. And they will then be the, his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And when we read through the book of Acts, we actually see how the Holy Spirit is poured out in these different areas. How the Holy Spirit is basically poured out in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, even unto the the Gentiles who received the Holy Spirit in, in the same way that... Um, the disciples received it, the 120, when they were in the upper room. So Peter and the other 119 disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And here in, in Acts chapter 11, we basically read how Gentiles were baptized in the Holy Spirit or the, with the Holy Spirit at that specific stage. Now, what happened on the day of Pentecost, there's something I just want to uh, zoom in on uh, in this Bible study. Because there's something that happened on the day of Pentecost that's very important. And it's one of those issues that really brings this division within the church. Uh, there are such a disagreement on, on this issue. So what I want to do is I want to share it with you. And you can make up your mind by yourself what you want to believe or not. Okay, what happened on the day of Pentecost is extremely important for our understanding of certain issues. All right, I mean, denominations have developed because of this issue. Uh, independent congregations have split off from other churches and because of this issue. And what is this issue? Beloved, it's the speaking of tongues. And specifically the fact that there are congregations and denominations that says that the speaking of tongues or the speaking in tongues is proof of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, I do not see that in Scripture. Speaking in tongues means that I have the gift of speaking in tongues. It, it doesn't mean that, or tell me that I am baptized in the Holy Spirit, because what baptism in the Holy Spirit does is it baptizes me into Christ, which means my salvation, and the fact that I am now buried in Christ in his death, and I am baptized into the church. I become part of the church. That's what happens, and that's what the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit 
baptizes us, né? when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, but in denominations, many uh, independent congregations, it is believed that speaking in tongues, uh, especially what the, the ones we see today, is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they say it is as if it was in the day of Pentecost. Now, I've got a problem with that. And, and beloved, I don't want to make a mockery of the, 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 the uh, speaking in tongues today. I believe there are really people who are very sincere in their speaking. And I do believe that there are people who are really, how can I say, um, not just genuine. They, they believe that what they are doing is 100% biblical. So what I want to do is let's take it from a biblical, biblical perspective and then you can decide for yourself what you think is the right thing to believe or what, what is scriptural. Now, for that, we need to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. I'm going to share one aspect of the uh, speaking in tongues with you in this Bible study, and then most probably I'm going to continue with um, another one in the next Bible study, God willing. All right, now, in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we read the following. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord uh, in one place in the upper room. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It sounded like a rushing mighty wind. Huh? It wasn't a mighty wind. It just sounded like it. All right. It's like this idea of, um, let's say, for example, it sounded as if a bomb exploded, but then it wasn't a bomb that exploded. It was just a very loud noise. All right. So in the, on the day of Pentecost, there was the sound, or it sounded like a rushing wind. But what it was exactly, we don't know. All right. And it says, and it filled the whole house where they were. That's where the 120 were in the upper room, where they were sitting. Uh, verse 3 says, then there appeared to them divided tongues. As of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, first thing, uh, first, very important, it's the Holy Spirit that gave them utterance. Now, the Holy Spirit was the one who worked in them to enable them to speak with other tongues that they did not learn at school or in books, or to speak to other people. It was a foreign language to them, but they could speak it because the Holy Spirit enabled them to do that. Right now, verse 5 says, They were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. Now, I want you to focus in on this. They were in Jerusalem, Jews. Why were they there? They were coming to the Feast of Pentecost. That's why they're there. All right, so you've got a, a, a bunch of people, a bunch of Jews, a lot of men. Obviously, there were women as well and children. And they were in Jerusalem. And this massive group of people uh, were Jews. And they were from every nation under heaven, it says. Verse 6 says, And when the sound occurred, the people heard the sound. The multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speak. In his own language. All right. So what kind of language are we talking about here? 
We're not talking about gibberish. We're not talking about a, a, a heavenly language. We're not talking about angelic languages. We are talking about a normal earthly language that could be understood by people uh, because they, that, that is their mother tongue. That's the tongue that they, was, they grew up in. All right. Because they heard everyone, in, any, every one of these 120 people speak in a language and it was basically in the language that they knew. Okay, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak um, Galileans? So the question is, are not all these people who speak in, come from this area where they only speak this one language or maybe two languages? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then he gives us a list of names. Verse 9. Uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, uh, those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and uh, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, okay, Phrygia and uh, Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya um, adjoining um, Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Okay, this is, this is profound. But also, in verse 11, uh, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them speaking in our own language or in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. This is what God was doing. Remember, these were all Jews, all under the Old Covenant, all under the law, all of them busy with, well, how can I say, bringing sacrifices and whatever, now uh, keeping the Feast of Pentecost. Then verse 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Verse 13 says, And others mocked and said, They are full of new wine. Right, beloved, now in verse 12, the Jews who were gathered asked the question. They said, They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Very interesting question that was asked on the day of Pentecost. And remember, when the Bible uh, was written, it is written as a revelation so we can learn certain things. And in this context, it's a very important question that was asked by the Jews. Okay? And I believe that the question asked by the Jews that specific day was the correct question. The others were mocking. Definitely, that was wrong. But these people that asked this question, they were asking the right question. You see, they wanted to know uh, what the reason was for 120 Jews in an upper room uh, that was speaking the language in which the people in Jerusalem were born in. And they didn't even learn those languages in school or from somebody else. Right, so they wanted to know, how is this possible? Okay. I mean, for us to understand the reason why tongues were present when the Holy Spirit was poured out, I believe that we must take a quick look at what the Apostle Paul said to the believers in Corinth. And why should we look at it? Because it's going to bring some light to the reason why on the day of Pentecost specifically, God gave, well, through the Holy Spirit, it was the Holy Spirit now that gave them utterance. Why the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit gave utterance or tongues, uh, as it were, to the disciples to basically be able to communicate with the people in Jerusalem. 
And, and this is what Paul says to the Corinthian believers. He says to them in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20 to 22, he says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Verse 21. Listen very carefully. He says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Verse 22. Therefore, tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. All right, so prophesying, let's just quickly get that behind us. Prophesying is basically to speak forth, nah? to speak forth what God had said. So that's what prophesying is, to speak forth the words of God. So if I stand in front of the pulpit and what I'm doing now, when I teach you and I say, thus saith the Lord, that is prophesying. When I preach from the pulpit on a Sunday and I say, this is what the Lord is saying, and I'm preaching expository preaching and I'm sharing the, the passage with you, then that's basically prophesying. Okay. But, and, and so it's a, how can I say, prophesying is not for unbelievers, but prophesying is for believers, for those who believe. Why? Because it is going to tell those who believe who God is what God is like, uh, share with them God's revelation. It's going to break open so many things about God. Exactly what I'm doing now about the Holy Spirit is prophesying. I am speaking forth what God has said. I'm explaining to you what God had said in his word. All right, but when it comes to tongues, different story altogether. And, and I just want to read verse 22, 21 and 22 again uh, so that you can, we need to grasp this. First Corinthians 14, verse 21 says, in the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, and, and what people are, is he speaking about? He's talking to the Jews. Né? So to the Jews, he's going to speak in other tongues and uh, people with other lips. He's going to speak to them. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Okay. So. Paul was freely just quoting here from uh, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, now what is important here is that we should know that the gift of tongues was given by God on the day of Pentecost as, a, as, as he says, as a sign. And I believe it, is, it was a sign of God's judgment on Israel because they did not want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ the Jewish Messiah. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22, that tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. You see, he wasn't talking about all the unbelievers in the sense of generally all over the world. In, in, in a sense, in, in the way that Paul speaks, yes, he's talking about unbelievers in general, but because he's quoting the Old Testament, he's speaking about unbelieving Israel. He's talking about Israel who did not believe on the Jewish Messiah, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about unbelievers. And what God says to them is he's going to speak to them in foreign languages. You see, it was the Jews. They rejected Jesus Christ. They refused to believe that he was indeed the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, that Jesus came to earth to die on their behalf, not to take their sin upon himself. And even though he did miracles, Jesus did miracles, they still did not believe. 
And even though Jesus did what the Jewish Messiah was supposed to do in accordance to the prophecies of the Old Testament, the Jews still rejected him. They refused to believe in him. And they were actually instrumental at the end of the day in the death of Christ. Even though it was Christ who gave his life willingly, he gave himself. If he didn't want to give his life, he wasn't going to do it. But Jesus willingly gave it. But he gave himself willingly to the Jews to basically be captured and then sentenced, wrongly sentenced, by the way. And then the Romans basically executed Jesus or hung him on the cross. Now, we know that a small group, we call them a remnant now, of Jews believed in Jesus Christ. The 120 disciples in the upper room, they believed. The 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost that was added to the church, they believed. But most of the Jews continued in their unbelief. So what did God do on the day of Pentecost? Because these people are now in unbelief. And remember, there were so many people from all the different countries of the world it, and it was such an opportunity for these 120, uh, for, for the 120 to basically say something to all these people because they came together. They wanted to know what, what was going on. That day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. That was something amazing. Okay? But now, what did God do on the day of Pentecost? And it says that He spoke to them. Remember in, in 1 Corinthians 14.21, Old Testament says, because it's written in the law, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. It, it's heartbreaking. I mean, what an act of mercy from God, hey? I mean, Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They would not believe in him. But still, God comes and he reaches out to them. I mean, he comes to this hard-headed, hard-necked people. And God speaks to the Jews in their own tongue in which they were born, their own language in which they were born, which means the dialect in which they were born. God comes and he speaks through these 120 people. He speaks to the Jews. But still, most of them would not listen. I mean, let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 again, where it says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? And verse 13, others mocked and said, Ah, they are full of white wine. You see, some of the Jews wanted to understand, and I believe that's the elect. That's the elect group or the, the remnant group that God um, saved or God wa wanted to save on that specific day. Uh, they were the ones who wanted to understand it was happening. But others mocked. You see, some Jews believed, but most did not believe. All right, so to put everything in a, in a nutshell, in, in the context that I'm doing in this Bible study, I don't believe that tongues is proof that someone has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't believe it at all. You see, when a believer speaks in tongues, as the Holy Spirit gives utterance, it is a sign to unbelieving Israel. It is uh, a judgment on Israel's unbelief. And it's interesting that even when God speaks to the Jewish people through people who never learned their languages, 
I, they will still not believe. And, and even now, Israel still refuses to believe. And still, I mean, there are people that speak to the Jewish people um, and they just won't listen. Romans 11 verse 8 to 10 gives us a good, how can I say, explanation of it. It says, Just as it was written or is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear. To this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a um, recompense to them. Verse 10. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down. Okay. Or oh, bow down their back always. See, there will be a day, or well, there will come a day for sure, when God will open up the eyes of the Jewish people, the group that would be alive on this earth at a specific stage who have not believed on the Messiah, God, for his own name's sake, he will open up their eyes and many will repent and believe. And God will do it for his name's sake. He will do it for his glory. Now, the problem with the gift of tongues, specifically when it comes to, to tongues being a proof of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, is that it basically takes this gift away from its intended purpose of being an instrument in God's hand to evangelize the Jewish people, to un evangelize the unbelievers. And then what people do is when they talk about they are baptized in the Holy Spirit and they now have the gift of tongues and they can now speak in tongues whenever they want, it's an act of selfishness it's it's something that once again and it happens in the modern church so many times selfishness self-centeredness of the modern church that's what we see now beloved it's it's heartbreaking but it's i, I hope it's clear that you can see that when jesus christ when we yeah, when jesus christ ascended to heaven the holy spirit was poured out and the holy spirit then came upon the disciples and they started speaking in tongues they were fulfilling prophecy of Isaiah to this multitude that was standing in front of them. And, and just the fact that they, they were supposed to know what Isaiah had to say because they're Old Testament believers. They were supposed to say, wow, this is what this Isaiah said, and they should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them did, most of them didn't. So it is not just a sign. Well, it, it, it says in... in um, in the writings of the Apostle Paul, it is a sign nah, to the Jewish people. What sign? That God is now judging Israel for their unbelief. That's what the sign is. So when the, the Jews were standing there and listening to the disciples speaking their own langu languages about the great things of God, they must have come under such uh, judgment because that's exactly what God has done, now done. Has he has actually spoken through other people to them in their own language but for those people who were speaking it was foreign and israel was supposed to bow down their knees and repent all right god way next study we will look at the baptism of the holy spirit continue with that um, and we need to learn why it is important for us as believers to understand 
why there is such a thing as a baptism in the Holy Spirit, specifically from a biblical perspective. Now, it's got nothing to do with personal feelings or church traditions or all these other kind of things. Nope, it's got everything to do with um, what the Bible teaches about it. Okay, that's our study for this week. Uh, beloved, let's quickly pray. Father, thank you for what your word reveals to us. I pray that you will enable us to understand this. And thank you so much that we can see, wow, it's so amazing how you reached out a hand to the disciples, after the uh, Jews to come to faith in Christ, and yet they refused. But thank you that there's going to be a day when they will repent and turn to you. And uh, so all of Israel will be saved, with the Gentiles included. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, thank you very much for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may he give you his peace. God willing, until next time. Bye-bye.